You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Primal Radio, we are back. Tom, what is up, brother? Um, I'm good, yes. My dad's birthday, so I'm like I'm at my parents' place, kind of chilling out in the last two weeks before I start the new job. Oh, okay. How, how far your parents? How far do your parents live from you? I thought they lived in London as well. They're in North London, but it's kind of like I mean, I don't know. It's like half an hour. It's not. It's not too bad. I don't get up here enough to tell the truth. Well, London's a, a real pain in the ass to get through. So it could take days to travel up there, right? <laughs> many days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Many, many days. Tar- tra- yeah, London's terrible. I mean, it's similar to New York, getting around heavy traffic, decent public transport. Let's get right to it today. So today. I got a special guest on that. This guy I've known for I've known of him for a lot of years, and we became friends through a, our buddy Stephen Phillips because uh, we mutually work with Stephen. But that so Joe is this. Look, I've been doing this shit for a long time, and Joe is probably one of the most intelligent guys when it comes to how to train athletes, strength and conditioning. This guy he knows he's got an answer for everything, and is really passionate about it. And we'll absolutely let you know if he thinks you're full of shit, (laughs) which is good. You know, he's not the kind of trainer uh, and coach that just kind of babysits you. He he makes you work. He's trained baseball players and hockey players and football players, Olympic athletes. And of course, our own Stephen Phillips. Welcome to the show, Joe DeMarco. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on the show. So you got to meet Tom here. It's very exciting. Nice to meet you, Tom. Happy birthday (laughs) to your father. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Cheers. How old is your father? Is he is he younger than than um than Jim and I? Because we'll be in trouble if so. <laughs> he's eighty one. He was like an older oh. dad. God bless. But he's like real healthy. I mean, like yeah, really, really healthy. Does that mean you got good genetics, Tom? I hope so. I've... Well, all that drinking you do though. <laughs> my grand lived to ninety eight, and my granddad lived to ninety six. So that's pretty good going, right? That's a real know... good. That's a real good start. Yeah. Right. So anyway, so I've known this guy. So I've known Joe for, I just know none of him. I, I don't, I didn't know, but he's been around in the business for for a while. Shit, for you've been doing this for how long now? Like twenty years I'm or so. My twenty fourth year. Twenty four years of doing this. Twenty four years. So what happens about a year ago, a little over a year ago, Stephen Phillips, he's a kickboxing champion, who who you train, have been training for years, right? When he shows up, absolutely yes. When he shows up. That's always a problem with trained fighters, right? Joe showed up to me, and then we kind of hit it off. And then right after that, you and I met. It's how we can we work together? Because what happens is, shit, man, you know, if you have multiple coaches with different views on how things work, it doesn't work out so well, right? Well, if it's an ego-based decision, then the answer is definitively, yeah, it doesn't work out very well. I think the one thing about you and I, Jim, is that we're both seasoned enough in the business that one can let the other hand do its job and complement each other with what you do. I think that just like in any other sport today, especially with the adventation and the use of the internet, there are so many people out there who really think they understand what they're doing based upon what they've seen on the internet or that they've heard that they can do everything for one person. And it's been my success factor is that, you know, I don't teach Stephen how to throw a kick or throw a left hook. I let the oh. experts do their job, and I just help get in better condition and better, right. better and faster, stronger. A good friend of mine is Mark Henry. I'm sure you guys know Mark. Of course, yeah. I, I trained Mark's son, Pino, when he was a kid. You know, one of the things that I've, I've learned from Mark is that, you know, Mark doesn't get involved in the other aspects of what somebody else does. He concentrates on boxing, not on takedowns, not on strategy, not on anything else. He has a whole team together with the people that he works with, and everybody – collectively does a great job and that's how you have a successful athlete you know we take the back seat to the athlete the athlete has to be able to shine and in order for that athlete's mind to be clear and their body to be conditioned he has to know who to go to for what and there can't be conflicting information being given out to any athlete right i'm sure in the past you've worked with other athletes who've had other coaches doing whatever all the time you've obviously run into that issue right Oh, yeah, I run into it all the time. I mean, you run into it with a mom or a dad that brings in a, a seven- or eight-year-old kid and wants to know why he can't run the 40 in under five seconds. It's like, have you ever seen 12-inch legs run that fast? I mean, yeah, right. you know, it's like, but, but, you know, I think that 
in education present, the, the internet's a fantastic thing if you know how to navigate it correctly. If mm. you know how to listen and you know how to learn, then you know how to approach the use of athletic performance in the proper fashion or striking or ground effect or anything else along those lines. You know who to go to. You know who to listen to. Not that you know how to do it yourself. And right. I think that's really where the, the line has to get drawn. There's so much information out there that you can get caught up into these wormholes of information. And, and I've seen people walk away from a three-hour podcast listening to Joe Rogan think they understand how to do stand-up comedy now. It's like you, you listen, but that's not you. You don't know what he knows. And right. just go to the right people for the right information, and you'll be more successful. And I, I think that where your gym is really – help complement that is that you strictly stick with fighting right. you don't get involved in other aspects of it you'll do conditioning you'll do a little bit of strength work in there but you don't turn around and say okay listen to me i got a group of fighters here we're going to handle all the strength and conditioning ourselves all right we're going to find you the right guy to work with and that'll help you with your career further on down the line so like tom in the martial arts that's pervasive right tom you guys run into that all the time with the internet with guys all of a sudden become an expert in whatever. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And obviously the, the, the devil's in the detail. You go back X amount of years and, you know, you would have just had the options of the people who were on your front doorstep, right? A book, a magazine. It's so accessible now. Taking it back, Joe, like, how did you get into this stuff? What, what was your background before you started doing this? Well, I played two sports in college. Yeah, I was always heavy into exercise and weight training. As a matter of fact, Interesting story. We moved around a lot when I was younger, bullied in a lot of places. I was always undersized and my brother was undersized. My brother, Which is so fucked up because you're huge, Joe. <laughs> I mean, he's no, a, I, Joe, I, I am, Joe looks I am like now. me, but bigger. He is yeah. now, and a lot of hard work, but Joe's yeah. a big dude. Joe, yeah. I don't want to, I want you to finish this way, but it, sure. like if you have Joe and I walking down the street and it, we look like we could be in the WWE, but Joe's massive. Anyway, go ahead. In the 1970s, when I was six, seven, and eight years old, I hadn't quite gotten to that point yet. But my brother and I were always right. my brother, My brother, interestingly enough, had the same aspect um, happen to him. My brother has a, a dojo, and he studies, he teaches Ishinru. And, oh, okay. Um, yeah, which, but anyhow, when I was younger, we was around a lot. I was always in a lot of fights, you know, on the winning end of some side, losing end of others. And, you know, when you get bullied around a lot, you as you get older, you learn to do things to help make up for that size. So I strength right. trained a lot. I taught myself how to box. You know, I watched a lot of videos. I, when I was in high school, we used to ride our bikes into Patterson and go to Ace Murata's place in downtown Patterson. I always was sort Ooh, of Patterson. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I was always really um, into what those guys were doing for other people. You know, fast forward, I went through college I played two sports. I got involved in the strength training aspect of things there. After college, I used my business degree and I got involved in marketing. I didn't like it. And I met with a guy who told me I should be a trainer. And I didn't know what that, I didn't even know you get paid doing it. But he was really good. His name was Dr. Frank Welling. And mm -hmm. we started developing a training system together. And we started experimenting with the training system. And I found out that I really enjoyed and had a passion for what I was doing. So I entered the Body for Life Challenge when I was 30 years old. I, I remember who did Body for Life. Who was that? That was uh, EAS Sports. That's what it was. Holy shit, I remember yep. that. And I, I did the weight loss challenge. I lost 48 pounds in 90 days. You were chubby or what? Well, let's play the truth be told. <laughs> yeah, truth, truth, truth be, be told. told. I was a little bigger, but I put weight on for the contest. I got you. So I like not to get cheated, but everybody did the same thing. But like it was right. a weight loss contest. So the more weight you lost, the better off you were. Of course. So I mean, maybe I put on an extra 15, so I lost it. And I found that like I had a real knack for staying disciplined, okay, and doing the things that other people couldn't do. Right. So when I started to get involved heavily in training, it was really the focal point of what my system was about, which is like, listen, we're gonna do this the right way. I'm gonna assess what your issues and problems are before we even start. We're going to come up with a plan and then we're going to be consistent and we're going to push that plan no matter what. And along the way, if you run to any bumps, we're going to smooth them out and we're going to make it work because we all have the same goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And so it became a very successful program. You know, obviously for the first, I would say five years, I was in the business 
a lot of learning and a lot of work and a lot of trial and error. And then I would say by the time I was in my mid-30s, I'd really had the I had everything that I needed to, to utilize and do. I started working with Indian clubs and kettlebells, and I had a nice set of plyometric, you know, routines that were working out very well. I was really into the speed aspect of everything. So I started to pick up a lot more clientele, and I found that I was very successful. I had a lot of kids who started with me in high school, like you had mentioned before, ended up going into pros in football, I- hockey, and baseball. Um, no, no pro fighters, per se, guys who made it to the amateur ranks and worked yeah. through that. And I've been working on it ever since. When I moved down to the Hamilton area back in 2003, it just took off down here because no one was really doing it. And that's why I ended up having – I had back-to-back-to-back state championships with one team. And then I ended up having, in the last, say, 15 years, I've had 17 state championship teams. That's a lot of teams, man. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, I try and – as a strength and conditioning coach, you have two aspects – you can push your clients physically, but you also have a responsibility to teach them mentally what's going on with their bodies so they can buy into the process and educate themselves as much as you're trying to educate them, too. I've seen you do that, talk to guys, and, and you're real straightforward with it. And I believe that you really want them to understand and know what you're driving. Is, are most people receptive to that, or are they... Well, they're, they're receptive to it. They don't retain a lot of it. They don't retain shit. No. That's but, your I mean, answer. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're receptive. I think everybody appreciates it. I mean, if you, I so. you, know, if you take the time to, to give somebody the proper instruction, that just shows that the person who's doing the instruction actually cares about what they're doing. You don't expect everybody to retain 100% of the knowledge. I would take 50% of it, to be honest with you. All right. Um, but... It, you know, I think a lot of it also is because you're not with that athlete 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you have to give them the information to take with them on their own because you're not always going to see them. Unfortunately, you may get a client for a couple of years at a time and they may grow out of it. Perfect example is you have a high school kid who starts at the year 13, 14, 15 years old. He goes all the way through. He has a great high school career and he goes off to college and you're not going to see that kid. I have a he was a fifth-year senior at Villanova now. who's probably going to end up getting drafted. I've only been able to train him one summer since he's gone to Villanova, and that's Villanova. Wow. And, and we're not talking about the kids from Alabama or Michigan or any other school right. like that. You never get to see those kids. But right. if, they, if they know what's best for them before they go, then they will have a much better experience in college. Everyone assumes the fact that the next level is always better. And there's a good, there's a good chance that it's not. You know, I mean, here in the private sector, you care about things because it's your name attached to it. It's your business. It's your model. When you go to college, it's mostly some interns who are trying to make their way through college and get a a degree and work with a team. They're not going to sit down with everybody privately and individually and give them that kind of attention. No. You know, just like you're fighters, you know. Right. So so if an athlete comes into DeMarco training there or not, whether it's an athlete or just a, someone who wants to get in shape, obviously you treat them differently. How do you go about assessing, if I come in here and work with you, which is, by the way, I want to do, which would be kind of interesting <laughs> for both of us. <laughs> and I have other goals, which I will talk to you about over, yeah. out there. What the fuck would you do with me? Well, we'd start, <laughs> start off, listen, I'd give you the same assessment I give everybody. I'd give you a, a series of flexibility assessments and then mobility assessments, movement pattern recognition assessments, core stability, aerobic capacity test, and then, you know, sit down and have a question and answer session afterwards. I mean, the assessment part of it is more just about looking to see the things that you're not doing as well as you think you are to figure out how to unprogram what you programmed out of shape. This is all scored, like measured metrics that you could improve upon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And I take notes with, you know, the mobility aspect of things that need to be corrected first and foremost. So after that's done, then you just, you know, you, you, you find out what you're, where you're starting and then you know how to program out 12 weeks at a time. I usually program 12 weeks that's of training out at a time. Are most people delusional as to where they are? Because I yes. know in my world, Joe, someone calls me up and they'll tell me, I've been in 300 street fights right. and I want to be a UFC fighter. You oh, know? Vin Diesel called you too? Vin Diesel called me. <laughs> so you're going, oh, Jesus. Just come in here so I can hook you up with one of the boys and they right. can beat your ass. 
Do you get those kind of phone calls? And when they end there, yeah, they're I mean, shocked that they're not where they think they are. I think, I think more of it is um, in your business. I think it's great because you solve that problem with one sentence, which is like, okay, even in 300 fights, get in the ring with that guy. Right. Right. So like, that's a very humbling experience when people yeah. come to me, you know, I get this all the time, you know, Joe, I'm in great shape. I just got to lose this. And now, you know, the, they, they do the belt, like, you know, the, the area around their belt, like I, I, I just got to lose this. And you go, okay, well, let's, let's talk about how you're going to go about losing it and what you have to do. And the assessment, as simple as I made it out to be, is really humbling as well. Because if you can't touch your toes, how do you expect to lose 30 pounds? If you can't, <laughs> if you, right? I mean, I mean, that's pretty right. simple, right, Jim? It is. You know, and it's like, and you should see that one of my biggest hurdles is getting people to turn around and realize that they do have the time for what they're saying they don't have the time to do. It's really about managing your time for your health. What difference does it make if you work 65 hours a week if you're going to be dead by the time you're 70? Good point. Tom and, and people, I have often talked about that. It's a matter of priorities, right, Tom? I mean, guys yeah. who are they're just... Uh, I don't have time for that. You're exactly right. Well, do you have time to be in the hospital and be on medication? Sure. And, and of course not. A girl I went on a date with told me there's five areas of fitness, cardiovascular fitness, muscular strength, muscular endurance, flexibility, and motor fitness, right? You, you may or may yeah. not agree that those are the five categories. But why would the mobility one that you just mentioned, why would that restrict my ability to get rid of my beer belly if I had one? Obviously, I don't. <laughs> he said, obviously, he doesn't have a beer belly. He doesn't. Tom's a genetic freak, but it's coming, Tom. You're going to be yeah. 40 soon. <laughs> I think if you can't move properly with tension and load on your muscles, how do you create enough tension in your body to create heart rate increase and muscular endurance and create muscle where you need to trap it to burn more fat? If you can't bend your arm all the way up to where it's supposed to be, chances are that's going to limit your ability to move under tension correctly, and you'll end up hitting a roadblock somewhere. Interesting. I've learned in my business that the further up the ladder you go with things, the smaller the margin for error is. So if you're starting with a margin for error, unless it's a, a special population-based case, where, like, say somebody has um, a shoulder injury that's fused their shoulder together and they can't move it properly, you're never going to get it to move correctly, Right. So you have to limit your ability to utilize that correctly, but you still have to do it. You can't ignore one side of the body because of its lack of mobility. You have to try and unfreeze it as best you can to make it move properly so it has tension. And that would be the difference between flexibility and mobility. Flexibility is obviously your ability to move something and manipulate it on its own. Mobility is the ability to move it with load and tension correctly so that it can fire and you can get the muscle to move correctly within that hinging point. So as you get older, elbows, shoulders, hips, and knees, those are the big four you see with everybody. How did you know? <laughs> part of it is, is, you know, trial and error. The other part of, of it is just makes sense. Of I course. mean, your, your, your shoulders and your hips have almost the same range of motion to them. Your knees and your elbows have almost the same range of motion for it. Everybody forgets about their shin box and their ankle completely. That's like one of the things that I... I see runners come in here all the time and they wonder why their knees are hurting. And I'm like, well, you have no shin box mobility. And for people who run all the time, you would think they would know what a shin box is. And it's like, well, if the soleus in your, in your shin doesn't fire and flex correctly, it doesn't have the proper mobility to it. You're pounding on your knees all day long. And as far as running technique goes, guys and girls who run long distances usually have the poorest technique for mobility that there is because they're keeping their feet underneath their knees. Their strides are not very long. If, you, if you're an average runner, obviously professional long distance runners have great gates. I mean, if you ever watch the difference between someone from one of the African countries run the, the New York marathon and the guy yeah. who comes in last, it's like, well, why would you even want to try it? You know, if you can't run correctly. So, you know, I think that that's really where a lot of these additional power points come from. If you look at some of the best mixed martial arts fighters on the planet, they usually are guys who have a sound ground game and have the flexibility to throw punches correctly at the same time. You can't be a one-trick pony anymore. Those days in the UFC are over. I mean, when it first started, 
everybody had one trick. You were a stand-up guy. You were a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. You were this right, guy. You were, sure. you know, now these guys have so many different skill sets that require them having their bodies in tip-top condition everywhere. I mean, you got to be a yogi who's a power lifter, who's an Olympic athlete, who's a world-class swim, swim, swimmer, who's got his diet under control to make it to that, that far. And that's where the business is going. Yet we don't see that much cross-training, you know, amongst professional fighters, which Jim and I have talked about. I mean, yeah. Anthony Joshua is kind of famous for it. GSP is famous for it. Right. But Anthony Joshua does get criticized for maybe doing too much of it. You know, that's what right. Fury's always digging him out for. I agree. There's a careful balance. It amazes me that so many people, listen, there's, there's natural God-given talent. There's no doubt about it. Okay? Sure. And then there are people who take that God-given talent and they add a little bit of this and a little bit of that to it and they become successful. And then what happens is as they become more successful, sometimes status quo is put by the wayside, meaning like I'm getting more successful, my fights are getting bigger, I'm going to make more money, I have to do more. Well, maybe you just have to continue to do what you were doing that got you that far in the first place and nothing is wrong. Overtraining, under eating, you know, like if does your should your body really need a cryogenic chamber and a sleeping bag with air being pumped into it to make your body heal properly? They have those. People use them all the time. And if you right. notice it, it's not because people need them when they're done with a fight. People need them when they're training. And the, uh, the right. aspect has always been train harder so your fighting is easier. Well, if you're destroying your body to make weight. Like we talked about with Steven, right? If you're destroying your body by overtraining, <laughs> what yeah. kind of tank are you going to have when it's time, time to fight? So let's touch. So we're training yeah. together, Steven, in the hopes that we can get him back on competing again at a decent level. So what are the challenges of training an athlete, especially a former champion? Because right. they have a position on it, an idea of what they think needs to be done, which right. might not always be the case for them. They might need to reroute and redo that stuff. So do you want to touch on that or? <laughs> sure. I mean, well, I mean, the first thing you have to take into consideration with anybody is your age. Like, are you a 25-year-old guy trying to cut 20 pounds or are you a 45-year-old guy trying to cut 20 pounds? There's a huge difference between those two things. The 20-year-old body has 20 years worth of either bad habits or good habits to work with and quite possibly injury. There's definitely a, a hormone deficit. There's also things like responsibilities that a 45-year-old has that a 25-year-old doesn't have. So things right. like cortisol and stress and sleep are a lot more of a part how, of the issue. How much is cortisol an issue? Well, I think you find it more and more an issue now, especially in the United States, because nobody can just do one thing. And I think that if you just did one thing, then you'd leave your mind and your body free of radicals that can turn around and stress your body in a negative fashion. And that's why I think the difference between the 20 and the 25-year-old and the 40 and the 45-year-old is when you're 20 to 25 years old, there's a good possibility you can sleep just about anywhere, okay, <laughs> right? Sure. Eat right. whatever food is available whatever to you, you want. watching what you're doing, right? You can spend five to six hours a day with your mind. Forget about your body, your mindset focus on what you're doing but if you're 45 years old and you have three kids and you got a business and your wife and you are having trouble and your mom and dad are possibly sick and you're trying to deal with a lot of things that other people aren't that's a distracted mind and a distracted mind becomes stressed because you don't have the opportunity to focus on what you really feel is important right so there that's that's that whole mind body connection i keep trying to talk about like very rarely do you see a person whose mind is completely out of control and their body is in control or vice versa. The, some of the best guys in the business, you know, their mind is always the biggest defense mechanism they have. So the rest of their body can kind of follow in suit. Did you know, make that connection early on in your training or did you come to uh, through the years kind of discover that with my own training or with my client? Either one, the mind, body, well, spirit, it's all one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, with my clients, I think it kind of perpetuated itself when it happened to me. 
you know, when I was in my 30s, everything was pretty much easy. When I got married and I was in my 40s and I had a mother-in-law that was sick with brain cancer at one oh. point and then, you know, my family members got sick. You know, I just started like eating the same way I did when I was younger. But instead of me being able to maintain my weight, I blew up. And so I, I went and had some blood work done. I went to have my gut checked. You know, I made some real changes that I didn't realize were time for me to make at a very early age. Everybody's body's different. Little things like spending even 30 minutes a day just refocusing yourself on what you're doing with your brain, 15 minutes a day. You know, keeping your gut clean of things that you shouldn't have them, using things like apple cider vinegar, or you can use things like parasitic cleanses and that kind of stuff to keep your gut free of anything that's going to produce problems for you in the long run. Knowing you're doing things that are very healthy all the time are really, it's a real powerful element for your confidence. And I think that's what can help balance out the cortisol in your body as well. I think if you're confident that you're doing everything you can to make things positive for yourself, there's really no negatives left behind for you to have to deal with. It's just, hey, can I outwit, outsmart, outfight, outcondition, outtough the opponent in front of me, and there's nobody in your head doubting what you can do for you? Let's take a hypothetical one, please, Joe. So sure. let's say you've got a, a martial arts enthusiast. Mm-hmm somewhere between 30 and 40 and they train like three times a week you know they want to look good and they want to feel healthy this is the person that's just walked into your gym maybe they Mm -hmm. have like mild mobility issues as you might expect of someone of that age talk us through the kind of program and lifestyle that you would try to implement them with a focus on i'm very interested to know you were saying how you were basically excellent at being disciplined and implementing a routine and sticking to it and how you would get these people to do that as well, your clients to do that. Would you mind if I gave you two case studies? That would be great. That'd be absolutely perfect, yeah. Okay, so I, I had a client for a while. I, I don't know who he trained with, but it was early on in the, in the 70s and 80s. And by the time he was in the 90s and into the 2000s from all the martial arts that he had been training and doing, his body had required double hip replacements, okay? One hip at a time. And his goal was that he wanted to be able to get back in and practice martial arts again. So the first discussion we had was, what are you expecting from your surgery and from your training? Are you expecting to go out and do the same things you did when you were in your 20s and your 30s? If you are, this is a very difficult discussion to have because (laughs) this this is not gonna happen. If you're looking to try and be able and participate in a sport that you love at an age where you're going to be doing things that are appropriate, I can make you the very best you can be. We can work on hip mobility. We can work on strengthening around it. We can let those bones fuse. I mean, that's the whole thing is that there's a big surgical aspect when you go to things like hip replacement and knee replacement that you can't get around. You have to let the bone fuse to the titanium. It has to take. Not everybody takes the same amount of time. Patience is oh, really fuck what, that. What's that? Well, well, <laughs> that's what. That. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what, that's what I'm going to talk to you about. The second one. This guy was very patient. Okay, so at the end of his training, after double hip replacement, he lost 35 or 40 pounds. Wow. He was able to kick in certain directions. He wasn't able to do side kicks or anything else along those lines for a while. He could participate in martial arts using a lot more of his upper body. And he found a new aspect of martial arts that he could love that didn't require him putting his body at jeopardy. When you're 45 or 50 and you have a family and you've had double hip replacement, quite possibly beating up your neighbor shouldn't be your first priority. But enjoying the sport that you love within the ability that you have is a much better place to start so that you can achieve that goal. I always talk about hurdles. You know, put little hurdles out and jump over one of those little hurdles at a time so you get the positive reinforcement of being successful before you start going to bigger hurdles and making them more complex to do that. Start Mm -hmm. with something small and make it bigger. Now, 
Case in point, seven-time world champion kickboxer walks into your gym, doesn't have any surgical issues, right. but he's really, really big and overweight, and he wants to work to get himself down to where he needs to to fight. That's a much more difficult task to get across to somebody because they have that mindset that they are going to go back to doing the same thing they did when they were in their early 20s and 30s. How the fuck do you Well, you don't you don't talk head. them you don't talk them out of it. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is you have to give them the proper advice and give them the proper channels by which to do it. And then as a professional, your job is to make them accountable to what you gave them. And if they're mm-hmm. not doing it, if they're not being accountable to what you gave them, then you can't possibly be at fault. If I say to you, you and I have the same goal, and your goal is A, B, C, D, all the way through to Z. And I see you next, and I say, hey, did you do A? No, but I did X and Q. Okay, <laughs> but, but, but yeah. why did you do X and Q? Well, when I was in my 20s, I could just go do X and Q. Well, you're right. not in your 20s anymore, and you have to kind of give yourself the ability to reach up to that. So. The ex-athlete who has an idea in his head about what he used to be able to do to be successful is a little bit trickier, but you have to give them the allowance to have their ego and let themselves find a place where they can deflate that ego to listen to you 100% completely. I don't expect to have somebody who comes in here and says, I'm going to listen to 100% of what you tell me because I trust what you're doing. Okay, that's great. It'd be fantastic if you do. Has that ever happened? Actually, I will tell you, and I'll give the kid a shout out right now. At 12 years old, I had a kid named Tyler Stafflinger who came in to my gym at 12. And Uh I taught him the first thing I teach everybody, which is your active dynamic mobility routine. Okay? This is how you start your workouts every single time before we work out. When I'm busy, before I go to you, you do this routine. I taught him him one time. Second time he came in, I looked over. There's this kid doing the routine all by himself. Now, every single thing that I have given this kid to do, he does. What's wrong with this kid? Nothing. <laughs> just he's actually, he actually got a full scholarship. It was just a joke, yeah. He got a full scholarship to NJIT. Fuck. Good for him. He throws 96 miles an hour as a righty from, from NJIT. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say is, When you are able to follow instruction, you are able to figure out where your threshold is absolutely. If you create crevices and cracks for things to slip through, the further up the ladder you go, inevitably you are going to sink through those cracks. They're going to be your downfall. Oh, can you say that again? That is 100% true. Because here's why. Because my fuck, some of my fucking fighters at the gym, this is, got some guys who are talented and we tell them to do things. I need you to do this, this, and this. And as you just said, as you go up that ladder, those cracks in your armor, whatever you got, right? That will be your downfall. Sure. Because you're so true. When you're in Little League playing any sport, nobody really has that many. Everybody's got cracks. So you get the chance to play. And then maybe you go to a travel team and, you figure out with a little bit of hard work, you can get better. Well, as by the time you get to high school, if you didn't do the things you were supposed to do, you might find yourself sitting on the bench. Okay? So now you pick up on the things you didn't do well, and as you go up the ladder to college or even to the pros, the margin for error is so small, and that's why I call it cracks. There are so many little cracks that won't make the foundation fall apart, but will leave gaps that you can't get. In some cases, it's your inability to not be able to hit a curveball. Maybe you can't cover somebody to your left. Maybe in your case, you have problems. The same people who have problems doing what they do with you are going to have the same problem in the wing. So why am I always getting knocked out? I don't know. We only went over the fact you can't dodge a left jab for your life 1,500 times, and you won't work on it. You can't predict what sports are going to do to you You can only predict what you need to do to yourself to deal with whatever adversity comes from playing your individual sport, whether it be mixed martial arts or tennis. 
Very true. So when you go back, there's that individual as taught that the case study, whether it be the athlete or just average guy losing weight. And what do you do with that guy or girl who's not taking your advice? I I know you do. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think in the private sector. What the fuck are you doing? Well, I mean, first of all, we're in the private sector. So this is a business, first and foremost. No matter how much time we spend loving and, and giving ourselves the ability to change somebody else's life, you can't want to change it more than them. So the thing is, is that you can sit with them and talk to them and let them know what you see. Okay. And eventually they'll either get on your page or they will fail. Yeah. And I think that that's really where the end of the discussion has to happen, which is, listen, we've had this discussion a number of times. It's not working for you, what you're doing. You're admitting to me and telling me that we're not on the same page and you're not doing the things we talked about. So how can we expect any other result besides what you're getting? And this goes for anything. I, I had a girl who came in here beautiful. I mean, she, she came in here. She wanted to get ready for her wedding. Her wedding had been the most important thing in her life. She told me since she was a little girl, she had books, she had, she had everything planned out to the T. Do you understand me? She came in here, she started working out, she started losing weight, she started doing this. And then all of a sudden she started to disappear a little bit. And as she started coming back in and she started canceling sessions on me over and over again. Oh, okay. yeah, but I get paid in advance. If you want to let me sleep, then I'll sleep. But the discussion was having over and over again. Hey, we're not getting anywhere. What are we doing? Comes in one day. I look at her, I say, listen, you know, not for nothing. You told me you spent X amount of dollars on this beautiful wedding dress and it's lace. And if you know anything about lace, you can't make it bigger or smaller. Okay. It is what it is. So I said to her, I said, listen, you know, what do you weigh? And she's a taller girl. She says, I think I weigh about 160. And I said, listen, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings here. And I'm certainly not going to tell you that you don't, (laughs) but I'm like, there's a scale upstairs. And you may want to check the scale upstairs. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, my scale at home says I'm 160. I said, okay, go home and send me a picture of your scale. Goes home, sends me a picture of her scale. It says 160 on it. Just so you understand something. I don't work at the circus, but I knew something was wrong. Do you understand me? <laughs> yeah, you can okay. get that weight. <laughs> so so the, next time, the next time she comes in, I say, listen to me. I got your picture. You still think you weigh 160? Yes, I weigh 160. I said, well, I'm going to take you upstairs and put you on the scale upstairs. Anybody want to tell me what you weighed? <laughs> God. 227 pounds. Holy shit, that's not even in the ballpark. Man. Right, right, right. You're not, no, you're not in the ballpark. You're not even playing the same sport. <laughs> My point about this is getting back to the fighter scenario which is you have no way of making anybody better if they don't have the ability to want to be better themselves. Your job, you cannot jump in somebody else's head and give them the ability to want something more than that. You can only teach them. You can only give them the tools. You can give them books to read. You can give them everything until they're blue in the face. If they don't want it, you can't give it to them anymore. That's a perfect example. How many guys have been through mixed martial arts and boxing that you don't even hear of anymore? They're guys oh. who were flashed in the pan. They were brilliant. They did this, that, and the other thing. Next thing you know, they're gone. I know Trenton, New Jersey, where at one time was a mecca of boxing, <laughs> believe it, Northeast. There is no shortage of guys down in Trenton who are could have been. Right. You know, had uh, life not attacked them wrong in their story. The guys who just didn't do what it took, didn't, you know, they, life got the best of them. They didn't train hard enough, whatever it was. But you're 100% correct. I will, I will offer you this. If you're making excuses for what life did to you instead of how you overcame what life gave you to handle, mm. then being a fighter by nature is not your sport. Because if there's any sport that defines overcoming everything for the success of what you have, it is fighting. You are by yourself. You are in a ring. It is a mental chess match. While you are a physical being, it is about being dominant. It's about giving what you need to do. If you let things take you over like that, then it's not for you. And that's for other sports as well, but definitively for fighting. 
So, which is so true. No true words are being spoken. I, you should come in and speak to some of these guys because they'll tell you, I want to be a fighter. And then, all right, Tuesday and Thursday night, we're doing whatever kind of training and couldn't make it. They show up a half hour late. They forget their mouthpiece. Uh, they forgot their shoes. Uh, there was an earthquake, you know, <laughs> whatever it was. And, and you go, you're just not going to do what you want to do. It's just an impossibility. And you who trains elite athletes from different sports all the time. I mean, the chances are to make it at an elite level is so slim. There is no, you cannot take a chance on fate. You got to do that work. I mean, I'm assuming through the years, right, Joe, that you've had guys, and I imagine you get disappointed with it, guys who just didn't buy into or do what you asked them to do, right? Whether it be an athlete or a just someone trying to lose weight, what do you do with that? I'm an idiot, so I never give up on anybody. It's true. You, you, listen, Jim, that's part of the heart of the nature of the game that you have that's and that I have. We don't do this to get rich. My Ferrari's not Oh, apparently not. <laughs> right. So, so the point of the matter is that there are people in life who are saviors, and there are people in life who need to be saved. Yeah. Your job is not to drive your car around picking up everybody who needs to be saved. Right. Your business is open to people who have talent who could use your help. Sure. So, you know, I mean, there are plenty of stories of guys I've had who reached the pinnacle of success. They've touched the pros. They played in the pros. Uh -huh. And then they've made either some very poor decisions. I don't blame anybody but them for their decisions. And some of them who, and I will bring this home to a certain extent, those people who found the religion of self-accountability became the most successful outside of sports. You know, there's a whole nother realm that we don't really speak about, which is sort of like, okay, these are all people who are trying to make it to the promised land. Well, what happens when the promised land is over? And so that, that's the whole point about what you're teaching athletes. You're teaching athletes that nothing is too great and nothing is too small. Everything is equal. Everything has balance. And your job is within that balance to achieve and excel on a daily basis. I would add that one of the things that I have done more of over the past five to seven years of training here is I have given my athletes a lot more to do outside of being here. Mm -hmm. Meaning that like, hey, listen, this is your job. I want to see it done. Bring it to me when you finish. Otherwise, you're going to have a problem. It could be medial tasks. But the thing is, you know, I think the difference is that the younger kids, if you get them younger, they'll participate in that. They love being given more responsibility. I think that, you know, we have a culture clash here also, which is like, you know, the millennial generation is sort of pushing out this new generation's coming up of younger athletes and kids. Their parents have maybe seen how most of the kids between the ages of 25 and 35 at this point are stuck at home and they blame everybody else for everything. So like right. that culture kind of pushes itself over into sports and athletics as well. But I think by giving them more to do, you make sure that that brain isn't put on idle about themselves when they're not with you. If I see a client for five hours a week, that's a lot, but you still got 170 hours a week to screw up everything I gave you to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it'll even take that long. Yeah, but I'm just saying <laughs> to you, like that's, but that's really right. what you have to understand about as, as far as this. When I first started doing strength and conditioning, yeah. yeah, okay, what I was doing was I was just pushing athletes and pushing athletes and pushing athletes. If I said, hey, there's a wall over there, before I even said wall over there, they would run through the wall to get to the other side. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, it started like there's a wall over there and kids would be like, well, what's that wall have to do with me? And I would say, well, you got to get over that wall or through that wall to get to the other side. And their answer would be like, well, why do I have to do that? They started questioning a lot more of what you were doing. Yeah. Okay. Now the generation of kids sort of like, well, there's a wall over there. Well, that wall is a bad wall. You're a racist. You want to keep everybody out because of that wall. <laughs> and you can't touch that wall. I don't want to know anything about a wall. My parents say you're bad for mentioning a wall. Right. It's like, so what you have to do, you have no choice but to become more cerebral in your job. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So funny. So, so like, unfortunately, I've had to morph my abilities to fit the culture that I'm working with. And for the most part, it's probably been the best thing that I've done for myself because, in all honesty, pushing yourself and pushing yourself and you're pushing yourself as you get older is stressful on your body. And there's nothing worse than being the fattest guy in your own gym because you're stressed out more than everybody else. <laughs> right. So, it's so, true. so like, you know, like I've had to sort of outthink everybody to a certain extent to get them to understand why things are most important. And I try and keep people involved. You know, one of the things that I really think is a big asset, I love working with the kids from the Special Olympics. I work with a couple of powerlifters from the Special I've Olympics. done that. It's great. And, and not only is it a very warm feeling for you as a Absolutely. person, but when you bring in 15 other people who want to complain and bitch and moan about how hard they have it, and here's a kid who doesn't even know that he has anything wrong with him, and he's pushing himself that hard. You should be ashamed of yourself to be ample and mobile and have nothing wrong with you, and you won't go out and give 100%? What's wrong with you? So, like, you know, having those types of examples, I think it's a combination. I think you have to, like, listen, life used to be about one thing. Like Tom had said earlier in the broadcast, you were fun of the people you were able to get yourself in front of at the time. Why do you think me and my buddy Mike used to ride our bikes to Patterson to go boxing at Ace Marauders? Mm -hmm. All we knew was boxing, Ace Marauders, Evander Holyfield, Cutman. Boom, we're riding our bikes to Patterson. Gunshots be hell. I don't care. Whatever. We're going <laughs> we'll there. there. Right. We're going there. And so, like, we got the experience doing that. Now you can choose to make your world smaller because of the advantation of technology or you can choose to expose people to more because of technology. I choose to expose people to more. The things that I used to not have the ability to do, you want to be great? Why don't you go be as great as that kid over there who's got Down syndrome, weighs 122 pounds, who just deadlifted two and a half times his body weight? Go be as good as that kid because that kid doesn't understand that he has limitations. All he wants to do is be the same as everybody else or be right. better. And so when you see the biggest problem on the planet is people with talent that think that they do not have to do what everybody else does because of it. Oh, motherfucker. I say that again. Okay. That is so I, true. It's not because they won't. It's because you as a trainer or you as a person or you who should be their mentor don't do it because you're afraid you're going to lose what talent they have. And I'm not saying you, Jim. I'm not saying you, Tom. No, I'm not no, saying no. me. I'm just saying people in general. They all want to powder the coddled athlete's ass instead of pushing him forward into what he <laughs> wants to be. And the point of the matter is, that guy should be pushed harder than anybody else. Right. If he walks in the door and he is that talented and he hasn't done shit, it's your job to go out and find somebody who puts him in his place. It's your Very job true. to explain to him how great he can be, but he is in his own way. You can't be in your own way. You got to get out of your way. So true. I've got a couple of questions I want to hit you with. That yeah, was sure. powerful, Joe. That's real spot-on stuff, especially in my world. How are you training yourself? Are, are you finding the time to do it? I know owning a gym, oh, I killed it the last like four or five days. It can be difficult because you're always in a gym to get the time to work or the desire. Do you still find that or is it sometimes it slips away a little bit and then you reave out and go back and well, kill it again? I, I think one of the things you have to do is do for you what you would do for your clients, which is sit down with yourself in the mirror and say, what are your goals? What can you do? My job is not to pick up every weight in the gym anymore. You know, I'm going to be 49 years old. So my job has a new transition to it. Try and stay as lean as possible. Try and be as healthy as possible. Work your heart, work your lungs, be aware of your surroundings. Don't injure yourself. You know, I had carpal tunnel syndrome for like four or five months in my left hand. It was yeah. miserable. And so that came from when I went to the doctor, he's like, what do you do with your hands? So I told him, and he's like, well, you know, doctors are funny because they all think they understand what you do. So they're like, you know, like, give me the amount of weight that you pick up in a workout and multiply times the amount of reps and give me a number. 
So I'm like, all right, 52,000. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean 52,000? He goes, 52,000 what, a week, a year? I go, no, a workout. <laughs> and he's like, well, what are you doing? And so I tell him, I use maces, I use kettlebells, I use flat bars, I use dumbbells, I use everything I can do to help myself out. And in his humble advice, he said to me, he goes, you can continue to do those things, but if you like feeling things for the rest of your life, you have to find a different way to do it. So we're yeah. all guilty. So the, the thing is, is that you have to look yourself in the mirror and be realistic about the goals you want. And that's like, Jim, I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming you're like my age in that ballpark. Yes. So like, we want to just stay lean and healthy and be able to do certain things and assess new goals, set new hurdles up that are small for me and you and jump over it. Nothing is different. You just have to find the time to do it the right way. So instead of me finding two hours to work out straight, well, I break it up to 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes over here maybe 45 minutes or an hour over here. Yeah. But the good news is about being older is that our muscles have a base foundation of exercise embedded in them, like a DNA code uh -huh. that allows you not to have to do the things everybody else has to do to make up for it. If you were working out your whole life and you've been strong your whole life and you're working out and you have power in it, you're reprogramming your muscle to work at a higher output and rate than it would have if you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So that somewhere deep down inside the mitochondria in your muscle is that little program that says, hey, I've worked out before. This is what I'm capable of doing. Now let's spark that a little bit and make it work. You and I actually have to do less, but we have to do more of the things that we didn't have to do when we were younger to get in really good shape. And shape is all a relative term. Do you care about what you look like? Do you want to be able to run a marathon? Do you want to go 10 rounds? Do you want to go biking 150 miles? It's all relative. It is. And I think you'll see that a lot of people that you know, and I don't mean to use the term, but like a lot of people you know who are our age, yeah. who just push themselves as hard as they can all the time, they look like 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. Yeah, I understand. Well, yeah, because, because in all honesty, yeah. where do you think half of that cortisol is coming from? Stressing the muscle over and over again, stressing your body beyond what you need to, right. not being able to eat or sleep to recover properly. You have to be realistic about your expectations and then scientifically address what you're doing and then fit it into your schedule. It's really that simple. Tom, you're going to turn 40 this year? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Will I be killing you before then? Or? I'm 38. Oh, you're 38. Recently. Do you think about this now that you're 38? Like, I've known you since you were in your 20s. I have more limited flexibility in my hip flexors right. and shoulders. I feel like I need a warm-up these days. The, the question is, as Joe was saying, is that we have to look at it different. Are you looking at your training and how you approach it versus are you still just going and killing it? That's what I'm getting at, really. So, as I say, I need, I need a warm-up. I, I do feel I need to introduce more flexibility work and stretching into my program. And I'm doing a lot of stuff for the Army in terms of, you know, I do these BMF classes. I want to get more into, like, hill sprinting, et cetera, et cetera, be faster. Um, I've dropped a fair amount of weight, but you know you still want to maintain some size and strength. Um, yeah. I think much like Joe, you'll probably relate to this. It's like you know, no matter how big I get, I'll always feel skinny, which relates to like me when I was younger. Yeah, I am bringing changes into my training program. You know, I'm always interested to hear what the likes of Joe, the professionals, advocate. You know, it can be a real minefield because there's just so many options. There's so many things. Well, speaking of which. Couple issues with the fitness industry I wanted to touch on. 30 seconds. We might not even have time for this. One of the issues I thought about in this industry is everybody is a fucking expert. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, when people come to you, they know everything. I got it. I understand. I know how to lift and how to punch. Obviously, that's not the case. Listen, anybody in any field who thinks they know everything is a fool. So the whole idea is you constantly should be working, getting back to like our conversation about the internet. If you use the internet to open up your horizons and open up your learning process, then you're using it correctly. If you're opening up that learning process, you can tell everybody you know everything. Well, then you clearly haven't had the right kind of upbringing to know that you should always be looking and listening and talking less. And I've had people who come in here to work for me and they want to impress me with you know, what school they graduated from, how many letters are after their name. 
and that's great. Teach. And if you can't teach, then all of those things don't really matter. You may very well know more than I do, but you can't express yourself and you wow. can't get other people to understand that. So it's useless. There are guys or girls who have all these degrees and all this stuff, but you can't communicate to that individual. One of the things that, whether you're a martial arts coach, a boxing coach, or a strength and conditioning coach, you have to be able to communicate to that individual or that team and get them motivated to do and buy into what you're selling, so to speak. Sure. And the other thing is, too, is programming is another issue that you don't see much of anymore. That's a problem. It's like training on attention deficit disorder. I blame CrossFit for that, but that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> well, we're going to touch on those future things. Joe, what do you perceive as your niche in terms of like, there's a lot of big commercial gyms out there now, more and more and more, certainly more so than when you would have opened up and started in business, yet you're continuing to get clients that maybe could have just got a program from their own gym, but see the value in going to you on top of probably the existing gym membership or whatever work they do training for their local team. What is that niche and how do you keep generating business that's kind of training on top of people's regular training, if that makes sense? Well, I think the major component is that I think people know from the experience I have that my integrity comes first, which means that my client's performance and what they want comes first before anything else. So my moniker is integrity in training since I started back in 1996, which means that I don't let anybody fail themselves under my watch. Like I said, I think the biggest problem is knowing where to start and knowing how to program it and having a full field of training techniques that I'm available to use for somebody. I don't just give them machines and dumbbells and workouts and that kind of stuff. Every last aspect of the body is taken into consideration when I put together a program. So I kind of open up the doors to techniques of training that most people wouldn't go off and do on their own, if that makes any sense. It does. You know, it's not just about reps and workouts and schemes. It's like, okay, you know, today we're going to utilize nothing but kettlebells for 45 minutes to an hour. Tomorrow we're going to work on burst training. Then we're going to work on animal flow, which is another way for like, you know, movement-based yoga. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but these are all things that like you should incorporate into a full component of training. And so like when I look at an individual, I try and make it as fun as I possibly can for them to learn, this is what I think Jim and I were talking about, to learn as much as they can about what is available to them as tools. So like maces are now the new thing. I've been using maces for a couple of years. Body weight movement, Indian clubs, kettlebells, burst training techniques, hypertrophic techniques, powerlifting intervals. There's so many different ways to skin a cat. I just feel like I give everybody the full spectrum yeah. that they can utilize and if you want to stay, stay. If you don't, I want you to leave here happy that you learned something that maybe you didn't know before you came in. There are going to be people who maybe don't need to train for their whole lives. Maybe they just need somebody to help motivate them and push them, which is something else that you do. Yeah. But from my perspective, I think the more you can educate them on the tools that are available to them to help with their own fitness levels – the more you can keep people interested in their own health and fitness. A quick quote, uh, I'll give you some future topics we'd like to talk about. It was by Walt Disney, and he said, do what you do so well that people can't resist telling others about you. Does it get any better than that? Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe, that, look, I want to have you on in about a month. I want to go over a bunch of I'd things on diet, nutrition, okay. supplements, uh, chemistry, <laughs> how yeah, to use training, all kinds of things. There's so many topics. We get a lot of questions on this. I appreciate you taking the time it's to. My uh, pleasure. I appreciate it. If you are in the central New Jersey area, uh, the man to call is Joe DeMarco. His website is demarcotraining.com. You can find him on Facebook and on Instagram at what? DTrain36. Is that what it is? Yes. DeMarcoTrain.com. I'm going to send it to somebody else's fucking website. Yeah, no, it's demarcotraining.com. You're correct, Jim. My apologies. Uh, well, no, it's, it's okay. D-Train36 D-train uh, spelled D-E-T-R-A-N-E 36.com. All, right. All right. Great show.
Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you guys. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.